The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz. Sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C. A program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host, Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all across the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert. Today on the program, we have William Federer as our guest, and and Bill is an author, historian, speaker, founder of AmeriSearch, Inc., and he's known for his work in researching and writing about American history, particularly from its Christian heritage, and he's the host of the radio program, The American Minute, has authored several books, including America's God and Country Encyclopedia of Quotations, which I've utilized, and Who is the King in America? Welcome, Bill. Hey, great to be with you. Now, listen, just a personal note, I was just talking to you this before the program. I, I read your American Minute every day. I recommend it to people. And like I said, it reminds me of the events of our history that I do know and why they're so valuable and prescient today. But it also teaches me uh, things I didn't know or had forgotten, which I think is even more valuable because everyone can have their opinions, but you know the facts are the facts. And so that's why I want to have you on today. You know, we're celebrating the fourth this week. That's that's when this program is going to air right before that. And I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think more and more people have a caricature of America or even a very distorted perception of what this country is and isn't. So first things first, what are some of the unique things of America that, frankly, I, I don't even think existed until this country was founded? Right. So the most common form of government in all the world history is kings. And Nimrod, Pharaoh, Caesar, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsar. And as the centuries go on, the kingdoms get bigger because with military advancements, kings can kill more people. And with technological advancements, kings can track more people. I tell people Augustus Caesar wanted to have a worldwide tracking system. It was called the census. If he could have had 5G and cell phones, he would have been tempted to use that. Yeah, I always say, what what would have happened if Mussolini and Mao had Facebook? (laughs) Yeah. And so at the time of the country's founding, the most powerful king on the planet was the King of England. The sun never set on the British Empire. He was a globalist. He was a one-world government guy. And America's founders broke away and flipped it and made the people the king. And so we are, uh, and where did they get their ideas? Well, the pastors, where did they get their ideas? The Bible. What part of the Bible? Well, in particular, it was the first 400 years out of Egypt before King Saul. And so I spent several years researching every single century of recorded human history, beginning around 3000 BC with Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets. But there's One nation that stands out as unique, around 1400 B.C., Israel comes out of Egypt, and for 400 years, no king. And their system works because the priests teach everyone the law, and then everyone is personally accountable to God to follow the law. And so this dynamic works for four centuries until what? Until the priests stopped teaching the law, every man did what was right in their own eyes, turns into chaos with... um, Eli, the high priest, his own sons sleeping with women in the tent of where the Ark of the Covenant is. 
another Levite with a graven image in the house of a guy named Micah. And then, of course, the terrible story of a Levite with a concubine. The law says the Levite's to marry a virgin of his own tribe. Curious with the woman he's not married to. He's not following the law. The poor girl's raped to death. And by the time you're grossed out, you read this line, every man did that which was right in their own eyes. Why? Because the priests had stopped teaching them what was right in the Lord's eyes. So they lost the fear of God. They lost the knowledge of the law. And all they had was their raw human passion. And it turns into selfish chaos. And they all go to Samuel, the prophet. And they say the self-government system is no longer working. We want to be like all the other countries. We want a king. And Samuel cries, and the Lord tells him, they did not reject you, they rejected me. And so this first 400 years out of Egypt, before King Saul, is what the colonial pastors look to as the original model of God's plan of government. Right. Uh, the kings of England, they look to the Bible for their authority, but they look to the anointed King Saul and on part. And so King Saul is more or less the divider between England and America. Um, right? Both looked to the Bible, but kings of England looked to the King Solomon, the people that founded, pastors that founded, particularly New England. They looked to this pre-King Saul period called the Hebrew Republic. That's why they taught Hebrew at Yale and Harvard. And um, um, and so, well, well you know, I'm just going to say, too, that this whole notion of we call it the differentiation of church and state. You know, people say separation of church and state, like as if that's something we came up with. Well, that's a biblical idea in in Matthew twenty two, where Jesus says, "Give to Caesar what is Caesar's; give to God what is God's." And then the Bible defines Caesar's role as a very limited role in our life, uh, and and what it's supposed to do. And you know, so that notion of a healthy public church and a healthy public state, each in their own sphere, again, that flows from a biblical worldview, especially a New Testament worldview, too. And so, like you said, here we have this ancient root of all of that, and then Jesus even clarifies it to some degree going forward. And a lot of people don't appreciate that that actually is a biblical view of life. Yeah, and right? the, the interesting thing was Caesar had claimed to be a god and claimed to be over everything. And when Jesus be delineated between oh we you know what Caesar's Caesar's and what's God's God's right. all of a sudden he he drew a circle around Caesar's power and says you're not unlimited you're not God right. and and it limited the government power. Well, you you know the other thing too. I read one of your, the American Minute where you were talking about the difference between the American Revolution and and uh, this is also uh, uh, prescient today and the French Revolution. You know, so you're talking about again the the differences between those things. They were they were so radically different. Whereas a lot of people today would think they were both kind of the same. Yeah, it's interesting um, that America's founders believed number one that there's a creator, right? And this creator made everyone in his image, male and female. And this creator is not a respecter of persons. If there's a creator, then your rights come from the creator, and the purpose of the government is to guarantee to you your creator-given rights. In France, they didn't have a creator. Right. I mean, they, they did, but they didn't acknowledge it. And, and so in France, you get your rights from the group, the collective, the state, the mob. And what the state giveth, the state can taketh awayeth. <laughs> and, um, uh, well, I've, and yeah, you know, even equality versus equity, which we hear so much about today, uh, ours was a, a freedom of equality of access, equality. Everyone gets to the starting line. We didn't always live up to that. We, we continually fight to make sure that everybody gets to the same starting line. Theirs was an equality of outcome. But look what happens when the state dictates what the outcome is, right? 
uh, it's a radically different culture to live in. Well, what are some of the other unique principles then uh, of the American experiment? Like you just mentioned, this is a law and order culture. That's the main role of the state in things like benevolence and and freedom to do the right thing. That's not the government's role. That's the role of self-governing uh, Christian or religiously motivated citizens. And that's who the uh, the founders set free. And so talk about some of those unique principles and why those principles are being uh, maligned so much today. You know, I um, uh, in answer to that, I put together a book on socialism, and the subtitle is From Plato to the Present. And so Plato was the first one that talked about everybody owning everything in common. And it sounds nice till you think it through. Somebody has to be in the government handing out the common stuff. And they're <laughs> always going to be tempted to funnel a little extra to their family and friends on the side and right. hold back for hold back for someone they don't like. And before you know it, it gets discretionary. And the saying is, he who holds the purse strings has the power. So every attempt at everybody owning everything equally always ends up with a deep state bureaucracy passing out favors to their friends with the most corrupt guy at the top. People say, well, wasn't the early church socialist? No, the early church was the early church. Socialism is counterfeit early church. And the difference right. is between the word voluntary and involuntary, right? So the early believers voluntarily sold their property, laid it at the feet of the apostles. They didn't have the Roman government take away their property and lay it at the feet of Pilate. And so when the children of Israel went into the promised land, every family was given property. If you own property, you can accumulate stuff. The Bible called that being blessed. And you can give away some of your stuff. The Bible called it charity. Uh, Lenin yeah. said socialism is a transition phase to communism. And Marx said communism can be summed up in one sentence, abolition of private property. So if you don't own anything, how can you be charitable? Right. So, yeah. so the idea is, is, and this is what America's founders understood, is God entrusts you with stuff and then gives you opportunities to show on the outside the love of God that's on the inside. And so uh, America's founders explored these ideas they ex it, the concept of a covenant form of government, and it's a way to have a government without a king. And so you had kings of Europe in the 1500s killing percentages of their own population. The king of Spain in 1572 sends the Iron Duke of Alba to Antwerp, Holland, and he kills 10,000 Protestants. And then you got uh, Catherine de Medici, Queen of France, and she has the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre where she kills about 30,000 Protestants. And so you begin to have these Protestants, these reformers begin to say, hey, um, uh, Romans 13, submit to the government. But what if the government literally wants to kill you and your wife? <laughs> right. uh, and so that's when you had them, you know, John Calvin and Luther and Zwingli and others were saying, well, you know, Ephesians 6 says children obey your parents. But what if there's a bad parent and they're telling their kid to sell themselves into prostitution and kill the neighbor? Is the kid supposed to obey that? Right. No, the child obeys the parent as long as the parent's telling them to do something that lines up with God's word. You obey the government as long as the government's telling you to do something that lines up with God's word. Why would God tell you to do something and then tell you to submit to a government that tells you not to do what God just told you to do? Right. And, and so um, you had a quote from John Calvin where he says, we are subject to those who rule over us, but subject only in the Lord. If they command anything against him, let us not pay the least regard to it. Very similar to Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from the Birmingham jail, 1963. He said, one may say, why do you submit to some laws and not others? He goes, there's two kind of laws, just and unjust. We're morally obligated to obey just laws. We're morally obligated to disobey unjust laws. How does one decide what's just or unjust? A just law lines up with the moral law of God. Right. 
And and that's what First Amendment free. I mean, that's again the the freedom of conscience that is defined by the First Amendment. That's the ultimate one. And that freedom of conscience is religious liberty as well as religious assembly. So you're you're and where do what's the ultimate authority to that? Well, these folks would have said it was the scripture or the moral law for sure of the scripture. I know uh, founding fathers said the same kind of thing. If it doesn't line up with the word of God or the Ten Commandments, it cannot be just. Well, we have we have governments violating the Ten Commandments today and not even doing the one thing that the Bible tells it to do, which is to be the bearer of the sword to actually stop the really bad guy or bad person from doing uh, physical harm to another. That's the one thing in a lot of places they don't do at all. So again, people need to understand the roots of some of these ideals. Isn't that what's kind of being lost today in all these discussions of of what kind of good citizens we should be? Yeah. You know, I uh, love backing up. And so you have Western Europe was Catholic, and then you have Martin Luther starts the Reformation 1517. And then in 1529, you have 100,000 Muslims surrounding Vienna under Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent. And so you um, had the King of Spain try to stop the Reformation and try to stop this Islamic invasion, realizes he can't do both. And he does the Peace of Augsburg of 1555, which says every king can decide what's going to be believed in his kingdom. And they work together, stop the Islamic invasion. But in the next century, different kings believe different things. And so Northern Germany and Sweden were Lutheran, Switzerland, Calvinist, Scotland, Presbyterian, Holland, Dutch Reform, Greece was Greek Orthodox, Italy, Spain, France, Austria, Poland, Catholic, England, Anglican. And if you didn't believe the way your king did, you were persecuted, you fled. So Europe goes from all being Catholic to now there's this mass migration, people shifting around, and they spill over and found colonies in America. And so every colony in America was founded by a different denomination. Right. Virginia was Anglican, Massachusetts was Puritan, Rhode Island was Baptist, Maryland Catholic, Pennsylvania Quaker, Connecticut, New Hampshire Congregationalists, Delaware, New Jersey were originally Swedish Lutheran, Gustav Adolphus of Sweden, and right. uh, but then it was taken over by the Dutch who had New York, and then they were taken over by the British, and, and they didn't get along. But then they had to work together to fight the King of England. After the revolution, they had one big fear that this brand new federal government is going to pick one denomination and make it the national one, which is what every country in Europe did. And so they wanted to tie the federal government's hands so that it wouldn't do that. And um, interesting, when you dissect this moment, you have um, the revolution and Patrick Henry gives his give me liberty, give me death speech. Present was a Lutheran pastor named John Peter Muhlenberg. Right. And he goes to Washington, says, I want to help. Washington says, I'm going to make you a colonel. Go get your men. He goes to his church, Woodstock, Virginia, and he preaches a sermon out of Ecclesiastes. There's a time to gather stones, time to scatter stones, a time to embrace, refrain from embracing, a time to preach, time to fight. He takes off his black clerical robe underneath. He has a uniform of a continental officer, has an altar call, so to speak. And the men kiss their wives goodbye, right off to become the 8th Virginia Regiment. He is... Uh, promoted the general, fights at Yorktown, he's elected to Congress, and he is in that first session of Congress where they passed the First Amendment. Right Now, his brother Frederick Augustus Muhlenberg is a Lutheran pastor in New York. He's writing letters to John Peter saying, you are getting involved in things which, as a preacher, you have nothing whatsoever to do. And John Peter writes back and says that his brother is a Tory British sympathizer. And Frederick <laughs> writes back and says, no, I just can't serve two masters. Well, then the British invade New York, burn Frederick's church. He decides he needs to get involved. Afterwards, he's elected to Congress. 
and he's elected the first speaker of the House. The first speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives is Lutheran pastor Frederick Augustus Muhlenberg. That's right. Who's in that session? His brother, John Peter, another Lutheran. And what did they pass? The First Amendment. Does anybody honestly think that these two pastors would vote to outlaw themselves? No, the First Amendment, as well as the first 10 amendments, were handcuffs on the federal government to keep it from becoming a big Frankenstein, which is what the King of England was, and which is what they experienced in these countries of Europe where there was persecution. Yeah, I, you know, the the one thing that I always say to people, I'll talk about like American exceptionalism. And, you know, today, if you talk like that, people think you have some kind of nefarious agenda. I said, well, here, let me, let me just say it this way. Uh, the dignity of all people, because we're created in the image of God. Okay, that's American, very American. And, uh, you know, France believed in that to some degree with their revolutionary talk, etc. But I said, the one thing that makes America unique is they also believed in the total depravity of humanity, which is why they didn't want power congregating in the hands of only a particular group of sinful men. They wanted people to be uh, motivated and uh, self-governed by something higher, by their, by God, by their notion that there was someone that they had to answer to and a community they had to serve. And those two things make America unique, the dignity, the inerrant dignity, but also the depravity, the sinfulness of humanity, and why there had to be a religious reality that didn't come from government. It actually came from the church. So again, you know, some of the things people would say, well, that makes America unique. Yeah, we're not running around saying we're the best people on earth. We know what we're really like, but we know what we can be like if we're motivated by God and by the right things. And I think that's what July 4th is all about, remembering that freedom had a cost and all this stuff had a cost. And then when these people actually had the ability to have this freedom, they bound themselves, like you were just saying, so that individuals could be free to live virtuous lives. I just think that's incredible. I, I don't think people realize how incredible that uh, really is. What are some of the perceptions today that don't jive? You know, some of the perceptions of America that don't jive with the history of how things happened. And, and how does getting that history right really matter, especially today? Well, one is the word citizen is Greek. It means co, co-king, co-ruler, co-sovereign. And so in America, you get to be in charge of your life. And then all of us together are the king of the country. It's a polarity flow change in that flow of power. Instead of top down rule by king, it's bottom up rule by we. So we get to be in charge. It's an empowerment of the, the citizen. You know, I did want to comment the total depravity of men. That's what our constitution was written for. Uh, James Madison said, there are no angels on earth to govern us. All we have is us sinful people. And so everybody's going to be tempted to want to get more power to favor their family and friends. So the taking the power of ruling and splitting it into three branches in a three-way tug of war. So the selfish fallen nature in one branch will always pull against the other two and, and vice versa. So it's like, imagine a Sunday school teacher giving an assignment, design a system of government where sinners keep other sinners from sinning. That's what our constitution is. That's selfish, great. greedy people keeping other selfish, greedy people from becoming selfish and greedy. And it was a three-way <laughs> tug of war. The idea is that we're ruling ourselves and we're all human. We all have this depravity. So we have to be a check on each other. Yeah. Um, but but if I were to sum up Western civilization, uh, Judeo-Christian, it's, it's the one word individual. Right. That you have right. a worth because you individually are made in the image of God. Not because you're a Muslim male, not because you're a Brahmin in the highest caste not because you're useful to the state. You're you're worth something simply because you exist and you're made in the image of God. And this God is not a respecter of persons. So all other societies are group-based, honor-shame cultures. 
America, you, the emphasis is on you as an individual. But if it's totally an individual, it's going to be chaos. And, and so we're in individuals in covenant with each other and God. Wow. The word federal means covenant. I love it. I, you know, the genius, too, I always say it this way. They, they created a government that prevented us from the tyranny of the monarchy, which you've already described for us, but also the tyranny of the mob. And so when I hear of people trying to get rid of the uh, Electoral College and some of those things that were to and also the way the Senate is set up versus the House is set up, who has the purse strings, you know, who has the sword, all these different things. It was genius to set these things up that way. Like you said, I love say that again, selfish and greedy people to check selfish and greedy people so that we wouldn't be selfish and greedy. I love that. I love that. Say our founders took the Tower of Babel and scattered it. Right. They took the power of a king ruling and they separated it, federal level, separated state level, separated locally, and then tied up this, this federal Frankenstein again with 10, ten handcuffs. So that's the, the preoccupation with separating power of the other forms of government want to concentrate power. And every now and then you get a good king, he wants to use concentrated power more efficiently, but he doesn't live forever. And so it gets passed over to some son or grandson that uses it uh, selfishly and gets oppressive. Like Joseph was godly, concentrates power into the hands of the Pharaoh, and he fed the children of Israel. But then you had a new Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, and he used it to throw their sons in the Nile River. So the the idea is concentrated power is bad. Let's separate it and um, trust the people and trust the pastors to teach the people to be accountable to God. Well, so, so some final thoughts, and I think one of the things that's lost today is that we, we need to rekindle a respect for the freedoms that we have, and that's why July 4th is so important. Um, but in some sense, we've taught people how to demand their rights, but we haven't taught them how to exercise their responsibilities. And it's really becoming more of a nation that lacks its capacity to actually live freely as virtuous citizens who are self-governed. You know, I was just driving the other day and I thought, you know, if we all decided just not to stop at this stop sign. Just to stop stopping at red lights because we just decided we don't want to anymore. I know it's a simple, it's a simplistic example, but the chaos that would happen if we wouldn't do what we've decided we would do for each other at a basic level of civility and humanity. Well, we're starting to see some of that when people walk into stores and take whatever they want and they don't pay and they walk out. You know, you start to see that if folks will not live as fellow citizens, uh, this stuff can go away pretty quickly, right? So what final thoughts, rekindling um, this respect for the fourth, because it really is a blessing for those of us who live here. Uh, well, the thought that's been awakened to me is that, is it holier not to be involved in, in what's going on in the community? What do you do with Numbers chapter 30? It's a silence equals consent chapter. Half a dozen scenarios. If a daughter's living in her father's house, binds herself with a vow, in the day the father hears of it, if he's silent, those vows stand. That's come down to us as vows in a wedding ceremony. And the pastor tells the congregation, if you're silent, you're giving consent. Well, if you're silent, gives consent to wedding vows. It gives consent to other things. If they're killing babies, you're silent. You're giving consent to that. If they're teaching some sexual views in a school different than what Jesus taught, Jesus said in the beginning, God made a male and female. And you're silent. You're giving consent to the teaching of something other than what Jesus taught. And Jesus says, if you're silent, if you if you allow one of these little ones that please me to stumble, better than a millstone we put around your neck and you'll be thrown in the depths of the sea. So I think it's going to be a rude awakening for people who think they're being holy by not being involved when they realize by their silence they're giving consent to all that bad stuff. Uh, they're inviting judgment on themselves. So, so it's one of these things that we have not just the blessing to be in charge of America. We have 
the responsibility. And I love what you just said. It finally comes down to freedom, but the Lord, you know, Jesus teaches us, you abide in my word, you'll know the truth, and the truth uh, is what will set you free. And we always tell people at the LCRL, we need to use our temporal liberties so that we can keep proclaiming the eternal liberties that God has given us in Jesus Christ alone. Oh, just my one-liner is the most important thing is to bring people to Christ. The second most important thing is to preserve the freedom to do the most important thing. <laughs> Bill, with that, we've got to end on that. Give us the address. At- yeah, AmericanMinute.com. Thanks for being on the program today. Thank you, Greg. It's an honor. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRLDC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Sells. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. 